Hello and welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. We are promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming. And as always, we invite you, our listeners, to know and impact the world around you. And we thank you for joining us on this Illuminous journey. Several other ways you can join us by connecting with us on all our social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, show handle for Twitter at Zero Radio. Personal handle for me is Dr. Uh, is Lorenzo T. Neal. <laughs> but anyway, we're glad that you're joining with us. We're here to share with you words of empowering empowerment and liberation and we thank you for tuning in with us today we have a lot uh, that i would like to cover but we're going to be talking since it is the season of pentecost we're going to be talking about pentecost um and the mystical side of it we're going to do our best to demystify uh pentecost the experience not the holiday not the uh festival but pentecost the experience what does it mean to experience Pentecost? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Does the Holy Spirit fill you? Does it imbue you? Does it suffuse you? Does it infuse you? What What is it like? And what about the non-duality, uh, the sense of dichotomy that accompanies, it, accompanies um, Pentecost, the Spirit's dwelling, the Spirit's feeling, the Spirit's power? And the um, dissonance that some people experience in the spirit-filled life. That's what we want to talk about today on Zero Today. And we're glad that you have tuned in with us today. For those of you who have been listening to us for a while and supporting us, we want to thank you for your support. We really appreciate it. And for those of you who are tuning in for the very first time, listening for the very first time, we invite you to... Uh, Learn more about us. Uh, we've been doing this now for about nine years. And uh, so you, we have an archive of shows that you can go back all the way back to 2010. You can access that by going to a Facebook page, Zero Radio, uh, Zero Network, I'm sorry, uh, on Facebook. And you can listen to archive shows as well as Block Talk Radio slash Zero Today. Listen to archive shows. And they are also available on iTunes uh, and any of your favorite podcasts. Um, outlets so you can you can listen to us and catch up on us and you can also we invite you to support us um, your giving helps us do what we do you can be a patron a monthly patron for as little as a dollar by going to patreon.com and supporting us we really appreciate your support in any other way that you feel led to do so we appreciate it so much and we we do this show for you to empower you and that um we're we believe we are helping many people. So thank you so much for doing that. So uh, before we get into the topic today, I just want to take this moment to put another plug in, uh, not for myself, but um, this weekend, June the 8th, um, uh, June 7th and June 8th, uh, there will be a multi-ethnic church plant and church conference. And it's called the Embrace Conference. I have been privileged to be a part of this movement for the last three years, and we have been working to break the racial barriers and the uh, ethnicity barriers in the church by providing a service um, that is integrated and multi-ethnic, intentionally multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multicultural. Um, this year, uh, we'll be blessed to have Dr. Tony Evans, um, out of Dallas, who will be our guest speaker for this year's conference. It'll be held at the Pine Lake Church in uh, Jackson, area, uh, Mississippi. And we want to invite you to come out this Saturday, this Friday, June the 7th, and Saturday, June the 8th. Uh, if you need more information, simply uh, go to embraceconference.info and you can find the information there. That Friday night is what we usually call a night of unity, and we really want to invite you to come out uh, so you can go and go to the website, learn more about and register for the conference. Also, Saturday to June 8th, beginning at around 5.30 p.m. to 8 p.m., we'll be having uh, the Wear Orange event for the state of Mississippi across the country. Actually, communities will be um, standing 
and raising their voices and their presence to bring awareness to gun violence, victims of gun violence and gun violence prevention. So if you're in the Jackson, Mississippi area, we want to invite you to come out to the Wear Orange Day in Jackson at Fair Street in the Fair Street Park. Um, and we'll have a great time there. So we're looking forward to that. Those are my two plugs that I want to put in. Uh, and I really appreciate the support in both of those um, those events. Thank you so much for in advance. Thank you so much in advance for that. Uh, now, I, <laughs> I'm laughing because I, I had a consultant and she was telling me, hey, save the plugs for later. Put the plugs at the end. I, yeah, I'm, I'm breaking the rules a little bit right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I am taking note. I I'm doing better. I really am doing better. Also, I might as well since I'm on the road, might as well just go ahead and put a plug in for my latest book release, uh, Reflections from the Pastor's Study. It's available on Amazon, and you can get your copy now. You can get it on Kindle for five ninety nine, and your hard paperback for fifteen dollars. And uh, you'll be supporting my ministry and uh, learning some great things. It's a wonderful book. I strongly encourage you to get it. Not only because I'm the author, but also I know it will be a blessing to you. Okay, I am done with the plugs. I really am. I'm done with the plugs. <laughs> Thank you so much. So, uh, let's get into the topic of the day. The topic of the day is Pentecost. If you are a Christian, you should be familiar with the term Pentecost. Pentecost is one of the festival days in the Jewish tradition. Uh, faith tradition is a festival uh, one of the feast days that they have in their faith. Um, and it was adopted and integrated into the Christian community um, with the reading of Acts chapter 2 after Jesus, oh, I'm making too much noise here in my desk, y'all got to excuse me. When um, Jesus had been crucified, he had been buried and he had resurrected, had been raised from the dead and according to the narratives of the gospels that he uh, was physically present with those disciples who had been with him for most of his uh, itinerant ministry across uh, Judea, Galilee and all those areas. About 500 of them had been seen by him physically according to the narratives and in that time he uh, he ate with them, he taught them, and uh, he spent 40 days with them. And then he gave them the, the command to go back to Jerusalem and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come, the, the visitation of the Holy Spirit. You'll be endued with power from on high, then you'll be witnesses with me. Uh, and you can read all of these accounts in the Gospels, uh, with the exception of the Gospel of Mark. That's the only one that does not recall um his time post resurrection uh it doesn't give any any of that so uh and then uh the full account is given in the book of acts the first two chapters of the book of acts give the account of jesus's post resurrection ministry and um he was taken up on a cloud and the men are looking the people are looking up and there are apparently angels angelic beings who are uh, kind of confused like why are you all looking up at the sky you see him leaving this is the way he's going to return go go and do what he told you to do and so uh about 10 days after he ascends into heaven it's the feast of the pentecost and they are gathered it started out with 500 and and it narrows his way down to about 120 people gathered in an upper room a large upper room and and in this space they are they have this unusual experience that we now know now called the day of Pentecost. And you can read about the account in Acts chapter two. The unusual experience is that there is uh, appeared while they were in prayer and in fellowship and whatever else they were doing. Cloud of fire, pillars of tire, I mean, um, tongues of fire descended on them and they began to speak in languages that they had not learned and um, some people call it speaking in tongues glossolalia is the usual Greek uh, word that is associated with it uh, but this is where the unique experience really uh, becomes a, a powerful moment in the history of the early church in that 
not only were they speaking in tongues that they had not learned, but apparently they were speaking loud enough and causing a loud enough records for those persons on the outside to hear them and understand what they were saying in their own apparent languages and to give the ethnic backgrounds of each person. Well, most of the groups who uh, heard this and Peter, uh, Simon Peter had become the de facto leader in this particular group. He was not the leader of the first church of uh, uh, James, the brother of Jesus, was actually the leader of the church. But on this particular occasion, G, uh, Simon Peter is the default leader. He takes up the mantle and proclaims to them, said, no, these people, you know, it's too early in the morning for these people to be drunk. You're assuming that they're drunk. They're not drunk. But this is a manifestation of a prophetic utterance that was written in uh, the Old Testament book of Joel. And he goes and expounds upon that. And says, this is the manifestation of what you're seeing is this. And then he grows into a, an even greater sermon where he goes from the days of Adam, Eve, Abraham, blah, blah, blah. Goes way back and brings it forward and ultimately uh, concludes with this man, Jesus, whom you crucified, is both the God and Christ or Lord in Christ or something to that nature. I forget the explicit uh, textual narrative. But I'm, I'm just giving you a, a general summary. You can read that and, and, you know, you'll get it yourself. And we have and been taught in church history, this is the initial beginning of the Christian church. Now, for most of the latter half of the first century, they were not known as Christians. They were they were simply known as people of the way, uh, followers of the way, uh, various other names that they were given. And then we re, uh, we learned that at a gathering in Antioch, they were called Christians as a means of mocking them. But it kind of stuck. And here we are over 2,000 years later still calling ourselves Christians. Uh, <laughs> and so that specific phenomena. Uh, that metaphysical experience, that supernatural experience recorded in by Luke in the book of Acts uh, kind of died down. And there were uh, only periods of such phenomena occurring throughout the history of the Western church. Uh, there are records of it happening in the Orthodox church, particularly in the African Orthodox church, the Ethiopian church and some other areas. Um where there was spiritual phenomena that happened, but for the mar for most of the the Western Roman Catholic Church and uh, the Splendid Protestant Church, from that uh, there was not a large record of any type of spiritual significant significant spiritual phenomena happening that we would say that that uh, derived such um, such. Uh, Wonderful, wonderful pronouncement as in the days recorded in the book of Acts chapter 2. Until um, the latter part of the 17th century here in the States, we, we were experiencing uh, one of many great awakenings, revival meetings, shortly after the Wesleyan Church and Methodist Church and the Holiness Movement began to flourish in the States and even some parts of Europe, we began to see more of this spiritual phenomena develop and happen. And it was, it was you know, because people were buying into the scriptures literally as saying there should be signs and wonders and all kinds of things. So you have these developments you have these, this uh, development of the modern Pentecostal church movement and a broader uh, charismatic movement or now what is now called the neo-Pentecostal, neo-charismatic movement. Uh, in the States, there are two particular events that we associate with Pentecost in the States. And I can't speak about in Europe. There were several that happened between the uh, mid and late 19th century and early 20th century in Europe. But I'm just focusing here on the state side in the United States because this is 
kind of seeded into our modern church experience to where every, just about every mainline and um, Protestant denomination has been impacted, uh, influenced in some capacity by the, the Pentecostal, the broader Pentecostal movement. Okay, and you have uh, perhaps the most well known uh, of the Pentecostal movement is the Azusa Street revival that happened in an in, in abandoned or remodeled or uh, least active, less active church, uh, AME church there in the city of Los Angeles, where a an itinerant preacher named William Seymour. Uh, set up shop and began holding uh, meetings and those meetings uh, in those meetings there were spiritual phenomena such as speaking in tongues such as other signs and wonders the laying of hands uh, miracles and all those things those particular phenomena things began to occur and it spread now Seymour was not the first to practice this but he picked it up from uh, a couple other places and I said two, and the second one left my mind, lost my mind just that quick. So I'm just going to focus on the Zazuza revival, largely because, oh, I said that loud, largely because uh, Azusa was reintroduced to the world by way of Bishop Carlton Pearson in the mid, uh, late 20th century. Yes, he had his Azusa conference there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and across the country. So it was reintroduced. Uh, by him and so we also have to credit him with reintroducing the broader American public to the idea of Pentecost for the largest for the longest period of time Pentecost Pentecostal movement sanctified churches the holiness movement were shunned and and largely uh, most members were uneducated and backwards those were not mainline churches, so they a lot of them were not on the main, you know, thoroughfares in the world in in the community. So they were in the backwoods. They, they it was, you know, it was really, 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 um, how can I put it? It wasn't. It was not common. So if you became, if you were part of the sanctified church, uh, you were you were peculiar. And for many, that was how they loved it to be. And many still identify that way. And you, you'll find pockets of uh, Pentecostal, apostolic, uh, holiness, um, fire baptized, all those, <laughs> any anything under their umbrella. Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, Church of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, <laughs> those kind of churches, you know, fire deliverance. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, the names, the names, the names. I can go on with it. That's all. That'll be a topic of a whole other discussion. But anyway, so you have the broader, the broader introduction of the Pentecost movement in America in the early part of the 20th century, right at the turn of the 20th century. And um, what made it even better is that that movement was integrated. And when, when it began, William Seymour's movements, his meetings were integrated. So you had black and white worshiping together. And it was, you know, a foreshadowing of heaven as people did. But, of course, racism and discrimination reared his ugly head. Um, by the time you had Charles Mason, who was the founder of the Church of God in Christ, which was then just a holiness church, um, along with C.P. Jones, they were a part of the Holiness Church, even though they were Baptist preachers. They called on to the idea of, of sanctification as preached through the Wesleyan tradition of holiness and whatever. And they, they, they bought into it and they introduced it to the Baptist Church and the Baptist Church put them out. And then Charles Mason got introduced and connected. He went to, uh, he went to Azusa and he experienced the uh, indwelling of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, and he incorporated in that into his new uh, denomination or his new fellowship. And a lot of people accepted it; some did not accept it. And of course, you split, and you had the Church of God in Christ and Church of Christ Holiness. And then later on, you had uh, racial division with the Assemblies of God, uh, birthed out of the racist uh, elements of the Pentecostal movement, and. and 
so forth and so on. But anyway, so <coughs> the calls, and that's again, <coughs> I don't need to be doing all that pee 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 pee. I'm supposed to have a popper on here. Anyway, so Pentecost, as now understood within the contemporary church, is both experiential as it was, as experiential as it was, as described in Acts chapter 2. And um, there's uh, other elements to that, as as you know, because as as people bought into the idea of Pentecost and they bought out into the idea of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit or the filling of the Holy Spirit, uh, however you want to put it, as they bought into that, you know, there were others who said, "Well, <laughs> the question was, have you been baptized <laughs> since you believed? Have you?" Uh, not only have you been baptized, but do you have the evidence of speaking in tongues? There were whole denominations that versed out of Acts two thirty-eight, where you know you got to be baptized and it got to be followed by speaking in tongues, or you got to speak in tongues and then be baptized, and you got to be baptized in Jesus' name only, not the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But anyway, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't want to get off on that tangent, but. That there are factions who you know adhere strongly to that, and you know turn it away. Don't you can't turn them away from it. But the question that I want to invite our discussion, I want to center our discussion around, is what is meant uh, by this experience of Pentecost? What? Why did? Why was it necessary? Of course, you can go back to Jesus's writing, uh, Jesus's narrative. When he was talking to his disciples in John chapter 15 and chapter 16, and he talks about, look, I got to leave here and I'm not going to leave you like orphans. I'm going to make sure that you have a comforter and the comforter is going to do things that I would do. I have been doing and going to make sure that you follow in the thread of what I have been doing. And then um, again, as stated before, he says, stay in Jerusalem and you will be endued with power from on high. And it was in invoking the Holy Spirit personal engagement with individual believers. Now that makes the Christian faith, uh, at least this particular perspective and praxis of the Christian faith, very unique because it involves the Holy Spirit's personal engagement with the individual believer. Now there's some there's some uh, elements to that, the arguments to that that are broader because the question is, well, who sends the Holy Spirit? Does it come from God through Jesus Christ? Does it come through Jesus Christ by, you know, yeah, does the Holy Spirit come through Jesus Christ? And not only that, what should the filling, dwelling, infusion, suffusion, imdued, power of the Holy Spirit, what should that look like? What should a person who has this personal engagement with uh, what some believe to be a part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, what should that look like? And um, let me be, let me give full disclosure here. I adhere to the idea of a baptism in the Holy Spirit. I believe I personally have experienced that with the evidence of speaking in tongues. I personally believe in the personal engagement of the Holy Spirit with the spiritual manifestations uh, manifestations of spiritual gifts you know, like words of knowledge word of wisdom faith giving all the things that are listed in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14 i i am completely in agreement with that uh, because i have been personally i believe i've been personally affected and impacted by that so i adhere to that and i preach and i teach that all believers should should aspire to have such personal engagement. The question is, how does that look? What should that look like? Is there a uniform means of that personal engagement with the Holy Spirit? Is everybody speaking in tongues? Is everybody shouting? Is everybody falling out? Do everybody walk? Does every individual believer uh, walk in a particular spiritual gift? Does every individual believer uh, have the ability to prophesy, foretell, foretell by way of the Holy Spirit? And when does that, when should that manifest? Uh, because the question has always arisen, there was a, when you read in Acts, uh, I believe it's chapter 18, Paul, I could be mistaken, it was 
either chapter 18 or chapter 13, I can't recall. But either way, Paul is, um, is speaking with some, and he's engaging some local believers, and they have been discipled, and they have been uh, reading and engaging in this new uh, facet of their religious life. And Paul asked, well, have you received since you believe? And implying that have they received the Holy Spirit? And it might not be Paul. Uh, I could be mistaken. I don't have my reference here. So, you know, uh, those of you who are like Bereans, search the scriptures and make sure you hold me accountable. And please feel free to comment and, and, and um, let me, you know, let me know what you think about that. Uh, and you can do so by... Emailing me, PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com or hitting me up on my social media, um, Facebook, Facebook, Instagram, <laughs> all of that. Anyway, so getting back to this point here, the question that I think is the centrality center of a lot of discussion is what should this personal engagement of the Holy Spirit look like in individual believers? When we read the text in Acts chapter 2, what we read is both subjective and collective. All right? It's subjective and it's collective. It's subjective in that each individual had the unique experience of having a language. They had the fire over their heads that and came on their tongues and each individual spoke in a language that they were not learned. Okay, they would they had no learning in. And each individual said something. We don't know what it is because it's not recorded, but they said something unique enough for persons outside of the confines of the experience could both understand and question. All right? So that's the first thing. It was a unique subjective experience. But that unique subjective experience was affected by persons who were not engaged in that same unique subjective experience that caused them to both understand and respond and engage them. Okay. Second, it was collective. It was collective in the sense that all those persons had the expectation for something to happen. So every person gathered in that upper room in the moments of prayer, whatever they were doing prior to this event uh, in described in Acts chapter 2, whatever they were doing, there was that unique collective expectation. Something was supposed to happen. They believed, as Jesus had told them, go wait in Jerusalem and you're going to be endued with this power. And this power will cause you to be witnesses for me in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, right? So that collective expectation was there. Now, those are the two key elements that I believe, as I, as I you know, reflect on the scripture. Those are the two key elements that were present, the subjective and the collective. Now, this is where... It different is different in contemporary experience of Pentecost. There is no collective expectation, and there is very, very subjective individual experience. It's got it's gotten to the point where it's it's kind of weird, and I do I do mean weird. Some some of the things that people, uh, some of the things that people say the Holy Spirit does through them is weird, right out strange, and you will find little to no biblical support for it at all. But they do it. So the initial, the only initial evidence of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, as recorded in the Biblical narrative is that the people had tongues of fire and they spoke in a language that they did not learn. That was it. And then Peter, being emboldened, proclaimed the message of the gospel, resonating with the narrative 
of the Abrahamic covenant and the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ as they are interrelated, right? So that was it. And then Paul tags on to that spiritual experience, spiritual gifts, as well as not only spiritual gifts, but he differentiates the fruit of the spirit and the works of the flesh. So Paul introduces an entirely different component to Pentecost, the experience, by saying not only should you have the initial experience of, of subjective personal engagement with the person of the Holy Spirit, but there should also be some type of subjective uh, individual behavioral experience where you can differentiate and you work uh, so you can differentiate between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. All right. Y'all follow me. So he has the works of the flesh, the fruit of the spirit, you know, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the endowment of power for be to, for those persons to be witnesses to the resurrection and the gospel of Jesus Christ that in turn would empower them to go out and make disciples where they are instructed by Christ in Matthew 28 to go make disciples preach the gospel into all the worlds and lo I am with you now always until the end of the earth right so we get that but in contemporary church modern western christianity in modern Western Pentecost, apostolic, charismatic, or neo-Pentecostal worship, there, there, that those two elements are disjointed. That's where the dissonance comes in. I believe there's a dissonance now from the time of Acts chapter two to 2019. So all of us want, and I, I, when I say all, I'm being very general. All of us want personal engagement as well. Let me put it this way. Every Christian believer should want personal engagement with the person of the Holy Spirit. That is the one who instructs you. That is the one who anoints you. That is the one who convicts you of sin. All of that. That's that's the personal engagement of, with the person of the Holy Spirit. That is what every Christian should desire. Right? In addition to the person of the Holy Spirit working in them the uh, to develop and bring out the fruit of the Spirit. And you can read that. I'm not going to list the fruit of the Spirit because, you know, we learned the nine listed in, <laughs> in Galatians chapter 5. <laughs> I personally believe there are more, but those are just the nine, and I'm not even going to name them. But you can go again, Philippians, I mean, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, I believe, or 23 and 24, somewhere in there. Anyway, you'll find those. But Paul differentiates the fruit of the Spirit from the works of the flesh. And that dissonance is saying that the experience of Pentecost should be so disjoining of your human nature and your spirit nature and this is where we get into the non-duality uh the metaphysical aspect of pentecost and this is where most of us mess it up because we wrestle with this dissonance this non-duality the the act the idea this and it stems from unfortunately um, a large influence of plato and his understanding of of essence and existence and all of that stuff and you know I could get into the philosophical aspect of this, but I won't. But anyway, Paul, it 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 kind of seems that Paul has this metaphysical dissonance, this non-duality that he is presenting in a lot of his writings. You find it in Galatians, you find it in Colossians, you find it in Ephesians, you find it in Romans when it comes to uh, interpersonal relationships as it relates by the way of the giftings of the Holy Spirit, as well as in first Corinthians again, when it comes to interpersonal relations and the uh, collective manifestation and collective expression of spiritual gifts in uh, worship. Right. So, but this is this, this, this thing that I believe most of us miss when it comes to Pentecost. And I don't think it was as hard during the first century church as it is now. You know, it's not as complicated the culture was not as complicated, you know. Uh, the first century church was very much 
um, even though it was, uh, even though it's multicultural in the sense that it was a part of the broader Roman Empire, it was largely not multi-ethnic. It, it did include Gentiles. We know that when we read the scripture in Acts chapter nine and chapter ten and chapter eleven, as Peter engages Cornelius, and we see as Paul goes on all of his missionary journeys throughout Europe and um, Asia Minor. We, we see that it, it eventually evolves into a multi-ethnic uh, religious expression and experience. But for the most part, much of the first century church was singular in identity. And Paul had to write to the congest, you know, to, to, to kind of uh, divest that and say, in Jesus, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, etc., etc., so forth and so on. He, he does a wonderful job in doing that in Acts, um, not in Acts, in Romans. But for, for the most part, the Roman Empire had a, a real collective of ethnicities. But that sect of Judaism, as it was, it was a sect of Judaism. Those people peculiar, you know, were peculiar. But at the same time, they were open to diversity. And in that diversity, we see that diversity being expressed in the initial tongues is every person spoke to a, in a language to someone else that was outside and Peter um, surmised all of that summarized all of that in the message that he proclaimed in, um, in chapter 2 of Acts now when we talk about this dissonance, this non-duality praxis, infused suffused, embed imbued, all of that um we have to look at not just practice, but we have to look at the experience, the existence of the person of the Holy Spirit within the broader context of the ministry and the witness of the gospel. That is the essential thing, the Holy Spirit's purpose. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was not simple for experiential purposes. It was for engaging purposes it was for those people to engage other peoples and make disciples that's what it was for in today's contemporary as i perceive it and i could be wrong and if i'm wrong guys i don't mind being told you know being corrected but for the most part it has lost that component it has lost the engaging component and now all we have is the experiential along with the dissonance, the non-dual part. And that's why you can see so many people who <laughs> are hypocrites in the church. We can shout all day in church, and we can put on the outward looking of a spiritual directive and spiritual behavior, and then go outside and do the most, you know, <laughs> the most unchristian-like things and unchristian-like behaviors, language and engagement with our fellow brothers and sisters. And I'm not just talking about in the world. I'm talking about <laughs> even before we get out of service sometimes. <laughs> but it's it's that um, it is that experiential component that has been largely uh, promoted. And so people look to be filled with the Holy Spirit for the purpose of experiencing the demonstration of the Holy Spirit or the evidences of the Holy Spirit or the giftings of the Holy Spirit, however you want to put it. And that takes away from the engagement of the person of the Holy Spirit. Because when if all you come to church, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and the only thing you have demonstrating evidence of such is a shout on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or a, a an experience where you're slain and you fall backwards under the power of the Holy Ghost. Or the experience where somebody um, operates in a particular spiritual gifting such as word of knowledge, word of wisdom, prophecy, and something like that. Um, or you believe you have seen manifestation of healing, gifts of healings, gifts of faith, and all of that, gifts of giving. And um, 
Those are all wonderful, but if that's all and there is little to no engagement outside of that, not only with the person of the Holy Spirit, who is the one who convicts of sin, who is the one who gives the anointing to uh, carry out the works of the gospel, but it's also the one who, uh, as part of the Trinity, if you are a Trinitarian, is the one who is the engaging component. If there's not that, if that if that part is missing, then everything else is just futile. It's like sounding brass and tinkling cymbals, as Paul writes, you know. And although he's relating that to um, charity or love um, within the context, you know, that chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians ain't about weddings. <laughs> it's not about romantic. It's within the context of operation, operating within the spiritual gifts. All right. So you can have all of these things and you can prophesy and all of that stuff. But if you don't have love, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have any. It doesn't mean anything because it is the love of the the God who became human, who allowed himself to be crucified, who allowed himself to be buried, and who was raised from the dead on the first day or the third day, whichever one you want to, you know, who was raised from the dead, who then indwells himself with us by way of the person of the Holy Spirit. It is for us to engage others. And yes, there may be manifestations of such, by way of spiritual giftings, but that is not the driving and should not be the driving component of your Pentecostal experience. It should be there. I I am a strong uh, person, proponent of it being expressed, not only during the worship experience, but during your private worship moments, not just in the collective worship experience, but during your private worship moments. That should be expressed. It should not be hampered it should not be belittled it should not be berated it should be expressed and it should be when it is expressed it should be done so in a manner that is not offensive and a manner that is not out of order that is clearly being um promoted and in 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 uh, operated by uh, the holy spirit now going back to the point i was talking about earlier when we only have that one component and we don't have the engagement. We have, we will have this greater sense of dissonance. We will have this greater sense of uh, dualism that will create conflict. And this is where I think a lot of people uh, really, really get caught up because when they're wrestling, if they're not seeing enough evidence of the fruit of the spirit, but they're seeing a lot of works of the flesh. There's a great deal of discouragement, and even though Paul does all he can within chapter 5 and chapter 6 to uh, make sure that he emphasizes the idea of this engagement, this personal engagement with the Holy Spirit, uh, does not create greater schisms between brothers and sisters. He he encourages you, hey, look, everybody's going to be tempted, but make sure when you're encountering such things that you're taking consideration your own self and brother who is or sister who's overtaken and fall, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Don't get weary and well-doing. Do season will reap if you faint not. And, and above all, they make sure that you're praying for all persons, especially those in the household of faith, right? So he he and he gives that, uh, that encouragement, that exhortation within the scriptures so that people can better engage the person of the Holy Spirit while engaging others in the praxis of the holy spirit all right i hope i'm making some sense there i'm hoping i'm hoping that you're following me with this because my my biggest concern in the contemporary churches particularly the contemporary black church and the the broader pentecostal movement uh church experience is that you know we we see the experience and we want the experience and that's wonderful we should all i love a lively church service I love a lively church service, but a lively church service is not necessarily a demonstration of the Pentecost in action. It's not necessarily a demonstration of personal engagement and interaction with the person of the Holy Spirit. That is just a lively church service, right? That, that's all that really is. Pentecost is about engaging others as well as the Holy Spirit. If we are not engaging others by making disciples, then we are not fully enveloping the spirit 
of Pentecost. We are not. The Holy Spirit comes upon us to empower us to be witnesses for Christ. As the believers were looking up for Jesus, looking up as Jesus was going on the crowd, they were reassured by those persons, those angels there, they were reassured that the promise that he spake would be fulfilled. And Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, understood that the events and the phenomena that they were experiencing in that upper room was the fulfillment not only of the words of Jesus of Nazareth, but he was also saying this is a fulfillment of the prophecy given by Joel. This is it. Our sons and our daughters will prophesy, but they will not be prophesying of you know, doom and gloom, they will be prophesying the Messiah has come. They will be prophesying the kingdom of God has come. They will be prophesying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. They will be prophesying, and they will be going out, and they will be seeing the visions of what the kingdom should look like, what the kingdom should be functioning like. They will see that. Sons and the daughters, the old men who used to have the vision now will be able to be further engaged with it. That's what Peter proclaimed. He didn't see it as just an isolated event. He saw it as an interconnected event without with the annals of history. With the promises of God from Adam to Abraham to Moses all the way to Jesus of Nazareth. And when we see that. That should. That should. Give us this sense of excitement. That God. As, as the author of Hebrew writes. In various ways. And times throughout history. Made himself known. With power. And in these days. He made himself known. In the person of Jesus. Of Nazareth, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. And has infused that person with himself and his power in the person of the Holy Spirit. And not only has he infused that person, but now has made that same infusion available and accessible to every believer. As one songwriter said, to every believer, the promise of God. Pure and high and greater will be our wonder, our transport when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Okay, so I've kind of gone over my time a little bit. I, um, I, I, I'll probably come back and um, talk about it a little bit more. But let me encourage you, for those of you who are questioning this experience of Pentecost, and for those of you who may believe uh Buy into the idea. It don't take all that. I, I can understand that. But every individual believer should have a sense of personal engagement with the person of the Holy Spirit. It shouldn't be a ritualized one. It should not only be within the liturgical worship experience. You should have a personal engagement with the person of the Holy Spirit so that that phenomena of Pentecost will be reflected in you empowering you to be not only a disciple yourself but also to make disciples of others I believe that's what we are called to do I believe that's what we are empowered to do I believe that is what is necessary for us to do in this very day and age and all the you know like I said before I love the lively services where we see the dancing uh, and the preaching is heightened by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and uh, you may see different phenomena depending on what expression of Pentecost you are. It be charismatic, be uh, Pentecostal, <laughs> whether it be Neo-Pentecostal. When, and by Neo-Pentecostal, that just means us mainline Protestant churches who are now catching on to the flame of Pentecost and we are seeing it in our churches bringing a little bit of life 
living life. Not too much. We don't want to break too much. We got to keep our religious tradition. <laughs> oh, and I want to get back to this. It is. It should not be strange. And I talked about it earlier. I, I meant to uh, expound on this. It should not be strange phenomena. You know, the Holy Spirit would not cause you to bark like a dog. The Holy Spirit does not uh, cause stuff to drip from the air. You know, you won't see feathers. You won't see gold showing magically up. You won't see all kinds of stuff that people say. It won't cause you holy laughter. You know, there was one prophet, one one preacher back in the day, uh, E. Rodney Brown, well, Rodney Howard Brown, I think that was his name, that he would, <laughs> you know, he had the, the ministry of laughter and and folk would just laugh all in his meetings and i ain't gonna lie i was one of them i would watch him on tbn and i too would be glossed over with the laughter and thinking it was the holy spirit no he was just funny looking for one <laughs> and you know it's it is not and it is not some extreme metaphysical expression it should not be some extreme metaphysical uh, manifestation. It is a simple engagement. However, that manifests subjectively to the individual. But if we stick to scripture, the subjective individual experience should reflect what ex- what happened in Acts chapter 2 that empowered those persons to become disciples, as Jesus said in Acts chapter 1. That's that's just my take on it. You ain't got to buy into it. I ain't asking you to. I'm just saying that it is what it is, you know. <laughs> But anyway, chew on that for a moment. I know probably a lot. And um, I'd love to hear your feedback on that. I'd love to engage you on that. Hit me up at PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com if you have any questions. Uh, uh, engage me on my social media. Uh, I am on Facebook. And you can. Uh, I invite you to like the Facebook page, Zero Network. Go there, like that page. Also, follow us on um, Twitter, our Twitter handle for Zero today is at Zero Radio. My personal Twitter handle again is at uh, at Lorenzo T. Neo. We want to engage you. We want to involve you. We want to hear from you. Also, the things that you like to hear uh, us talk about on this show, we really want to invite you to do so. As a closeout, uh, thank you again for your support. We really appreciate you. Uh, for those of you who are clergy, be listening out for a campaign we'll be rolling out. Uh, a, a service that we'll be rolling, not a campaign, but a service we'll be rolling out just specifically for clergy, uh, clergy counseling and coaching. Uh, it's a systems-based counseling we'll be doing and coaching we'll be doing to empower you, to empower others. So be listening out for that. Thank you again for uh, tuning in. We invite you to go back and listen to all archive shows. Do all you can to help us and keep us uh on the air we appreciate you so much we thank you for your support we love you god bless you and god keep you i am out of here